0: Welcome to Theology Untapped. My name is Alan, your host today, and today I'm joined with my good friend Nelson Solomon here. And we are excited to be discussing our topic for the day, and that is the importance of church history and relevance for today. Good to have you here, Nelson. And uh, why don't you introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, so I am originally from Oklahoma, Mm -hmm. and I am a part of a church here in the city. I've always had a passion to pursue theological studies, and Mm -hmm. I actually obtained a Master of Arts in Theological Studies from Southwestern Christian University in Bethany, Oklahoma. And I've always had a massive obsession with history Mm -hmm. and as to understanding why things are the way they are, uh, how a tradition developed, why that tradition developed the way that it did, yeah. and its value over time—if that value has increased or decreased—and I've always just been curious as to those things. And yeah, my passion for church history has just grown over time.
0: Yeah, great to have you here. I mean, you definitely have an interest on the specific topic we are discussing today. And uh, before we go in any further of how we see church history or any specific events in history. It's probably good to address the preliminary question of why church history? Why, why do we need to go back to 2,000 years? Uh, because that's when Jesus Christ died and rose again, and this whole movement called church came up. So I guess we'll, we'll start there. Why do you think we have to go back and do church history?
1: I think it's very important that you always know where you came from. Mm-hmm. When you walk into any church in the Western system of today, mm. you get this idea of a of a of a corporately run organization, yeah there's a board of directors, there's a senior pastor, there's a worship pastor, mm-hmm. missions pastor, all these different deacons and these levels of leadership, yeah, and you get this idea that the church was always just like this in mm-hmm. this in this multi-tiered organization and uh, governed by corporate boards and those kinds of systems. But when you look at the original church and you see the movement that came out of the apostles after the death of Jesus and resurrection of Jesus, it was nothing like the corporate structures that we see today. Mm -hmm. It was a movement. It was a movement of house churches in all these cities spread throughout the Roman Empire.
0: Yeah. Church... I think had a different face in, in first century and in I would say till over the years. So it's true that if we fail to actually read church history we probably would end up thinking that church only have one, had only one face. Uh, that is what we see in the western society possibly. Uh, and we probably miss out on a lot of things which we read in the Bible and how it subsequently came about like in, in the in the reformation time. Or even before that, mm-hmm. and in after Reformation time. Yeah. So it is true. Uh, church history should be read, and it has a place, uh, and it it kind of gives us a, a perspective. Now that gets me to the question: How how did church begin? It's just a, I know it's a basic question, but probably that's where we should start. I mean. Normally, sometimes people start from Reformation. If you're a Protestant, we can only go back to uh, 16th century. Or if you're a Pentecostal, we might, yeah. go, we might go only back to 1900s, and 1903 or 1905. But that's just the beginning of a, a sort of a reformative way of understanding about church. But church existed 2,000 years or even before. So, let's go back. 2,000 years ago, how do you understand uh, the nature of the start and the spread of Christian Church?
1: So it's important to understand the context that the church began in. Mm-hmm. The time was ruled by Romans,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and there was a there, there were two factors that were played into the expansion of the church. Mm-hmm. So one was syncretism, which yeah. is when there was a mixing of different religions into into different versions of a belief system, Mm -hmm. different versions of Christianity, maybe in different places and different things like that, where local customs were adopted into this belief system. And then this idea of emperor worship. Mm -hmm. In the Roman system, they believed in unity, uniformity. And they had this one standard idea, when the image of the emperor is presented, you burn incense to it. you, You honor it. You respect it. Yeah. If you were a Christian in that time, yeah. your belief violated that and you did not burn incense.
0: That's right, yeah.
1: So you were seen as a rebel. You were seen as someone to be persecuted because you were not following yeah. the order of the day. That's true. And it's important to understand that there were different groups out of that time. So the people that we you most commonly think of are the Jews, the mm. Jewish Christians. Yeah, yeah. So the Jewish Christian people were still Jews, and they yeah. understood this message or the way yeah, yeah. as simply a fulfillment yeah. of what the Torah or their original belief was. Yeah. So that, so that was one aspect, that was one group of people you could say that was majorly there. Yeah. The second group of people were the non-Jews or the Gentiles mm-hmm. that Paul eventually reached out to. Mm-hmm. They had a different set of standards that was not the Jews standard. For example, the Jews believed in circumcision. Yeah. The Gentiles simply said no. Yeah. And that it was actually the idea of circumcision was actually repulsive actually to the to the uh, Hellenized yeah. people. So they were so, so there was a massive difference of a di- a difference of opinion there. Yeah. And so it's important to understand that like See, in this context, how did Christianity grow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when you tackle these questions, it's important to understand, what were the forces at play here? How, did, That's right. how was it that these people, yeah. these apostles, were able to go on these roads mm-hmm. to all of these places, to these distant places and establish churches?
0: That's right, yeah. So yeah, you're specifically uh, mentioning about the first century of that church growth. Yes. Uh, you you specifically talking about how apostles lived or or you mentioning about the church fathers era Were you, or or are you just mentioning both in that first century time?
1: Um, just the overall first century time. Yeah, yeah. So, so started with the apostles. Yeah. The apostles went out to different places and they started they, they started churches mm-hmm. and from there Okay. it the, the the gospel was spread and the beautiful thing was because of the Romans paving the roads to all these places, that the gospel was distributed yeah. and sent not just by missionaries and evangelists, but by trade. That's but right. Because that's right. because people were traveling, selling their wares and selling their businesses across the land, and because of these roads that were paved, so it's an it's an interesting dynamic how mm. the culture and the the political time that yeah. they were in also helped them to kind yeah. of spread.
0: It's fascinating. You mentioned also like uh, the things I picked up from your conversation was that you mentioned basically about the context of how the first Christians were living. Now, people sometimes think that, Oh, they didn't have anything. Everybody believed in Christianity because Jesus rose again. Everybody understood that, but not really. I mean, it, it, even the disciples didn't want to follow Jesus Christ. A radical change happened when resurrection occurred. Well, but at the same time, they were growing, they were in a context where, as you mentioned, Romans around them. Roman political system was there, so they were con- controlling the situation. Then religiously speaking, the Jewish thought was there. And then the Gentile thoughts, uh, the Gentiles could possibly, the Hellenistic thought, thought, uh, school of thought, and that could include a lot of things. Um, and now, all these things, and then possibly there will be, they they might have been paganist, pagan pagan thought view as well. So religiously speaking, religiously or spiritually speaking, Christianity entered into the world that was highly religiously plural, like Jewish, um, Gentile, and pagan. All these are schools of thought. It's not just one way of thinking about it. Even Hellenistic school of thought has multiple uh, way of thinking about reality and and all that. So the disciples were suddenly encountered with the challenge of actually wrestling with these philosophies.
1: So you talk about these philosophies that ruled the time, that ruled that that era. This syncretism happened, and I keep mentioning these Roman roads, but it's just really fascinating to me because on these same roads that these Christian missionaries took to travel to distant uh, towns to Uh, plant churches, other people, other belief systems, other traditions also went. And in these plazas and these marketplaces, these ideas were mixed and then they became these morphed ideas Mm -hmm. and morphed philosophies. And what's interesting is that Christianity, Christians, Mm -hmm. were kind of an abnormality in a world of pluralism. Mm -hmm. They were people who said, we want to serve one God. Yeah. Yeah. And we have one belief system. Yeah, and it was a radical school of thought in time where people just believed in all kinds of gods and in the Greek mythological system and all these different these different types of gods and and, and, and goddesses out there. So what's interesting was their method to communicate Christianity and in actually involved philosophy. Mm-hmm. They used the beliefs of of Socrates and Plato mm-hmm. to enhance their argument. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting in relative to today, yeah, yeah. because today there's so many philosophies. It's like yeah. There's emerging philosophies all the time of different, be- different beliefs, new ways of thinking about all uh, the old traditional thoughts that have just been assumed as fact for many years are now just being challenged. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because now uh, it's considered to be um, ancient or it's considered to be boring or, or, yeah. or too traditional to think, oh, there's one gospel mm-hmm. and that there, was, there's, there were 66 books in this Bible yeah. and this was how it was written.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, if you look into most seminaries and into most theological training, there's there's a very liberal school of thought that says, yeah. no, maybe there were other books yeah. and maybe this was not the full gospel.
0: Yeah, yeah. But,
1: it's important. It's inter- what's interesting to me and what stands out from um, this, this look at the historical time and now mm-hmm. is there's, there's still a parallel there. Yep. That there's, on one side, there's this, there's this pluralistic view that everything's all right. Everything yeah. is, it's, you know, what you believe is fine. What I believe is fine. We all go in the same direction. It's fine. Mm-hmm. And then there's, on, on, the, on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, there are these people that say, no, we believe in the one true God yep. who created this earth. Yeah. Back in their time, Plato uh, affirmed there was a higher world of abiding truth. Yeah. And yeah. they were able to kind of adopt that worldview yeah. and say, hey, it's very similar to our worldview. It's not exactly our worldview, but it's yeah. close. And be able to convince people. Of that. I think it's interesting that that was their connection. That was the way they were able to tie Can in.
0: I mean, it's yeah. fascinating you say that. And what connected with me is the relevance of, for today. Um, Yeah, you're right, on the pluralistic nature of society we see in the first century and we see today it's more or less the same when it comes to the plurality of thought and how a Christian has to wrestle with different philosophies in order to substantiate why Jesus is God. Now, the ideologies are different. We are not debating with Hellenistic thought here today. But we are debating with uh, Islamic thoughts. And uh, we are still using philosophy to actually substantiate, substantiate the truth of uh, Christianity. And we are not just, not just Islam. We have Jewish school of thought. We have other religious school of thought. And now we have atheistic school of thought. Now in the first century also similar way of pluralistic philosophies existed. I, I find that as important to recall or sort of encouragement for Christians that, um, well, we are, we, what we go through today is not new per se, but rather people have gone through it. And uh, so it's important to go back to history and say, oh, how did they deal with it? How did, with the methodology they took, how did the methodology they took? Now, it's interesting you brought up one methodology uh, by, by going back to the example of Plato. Um, people took the Plato's philosophy and as Christians, uh, said okay this is how probably you could perhaps understand that uh spirituality exists uh, outside of our realm and how we are connected to that heavenly realm now another way i would say is um what uh paul did in in acts 17 uh, when they was when he was speaking with the athenians um he is fascinating to me that uh Paul did not just jump around and just uh, just say, "Yeah, Jesus, Lord, just believe me." Uh, Rather, he used the ideas they had. It's it's clear from uh, Acts chapter 17 uh, that Paul did do his homework uh, about what the people uh, were believing and what are the what are their gods and what are their spirituality like. For example, in In verse 23, he's he's, he's, he's saying here, he said, For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Now, Paul was very clever. Well, we know that. But he was very smart to use their way of thinking and their way of connecting with spirituality as a forum to present the gospel.
1: And that's interesting because it relates to how we can share the gospel today. Mm-hmm. Because we often, the church often has a methodology of, well, I'm just going to go out there and declare that Jesus is Lord and that you must believe the Bible and all these things are true. But Paul was very wise, as you said, in how he approached the people that he was talking to. He knew what they believed, and he used what they believed. And so it speaks to how his methodology is still the same Mm -hmm. that we can use today.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the methodology is that uh, make an effort to understand what your listener believes, uh, and don't assume that everybody believes what you believe. Uh, I think the common mistake we do sometimes is that, hey, why can't they believe? Like, we had an assumption that, hey, it's crystal clear, isn't it? Jesus is Lord, why can't you believe? But there are other people who actually believe different things about Jesus Christ. So yeah, therefore it is really important for us to know what our neighbor, who is possibly not a Christian, believes in, um, so that we don't really make a mistake or assume certain things, and we can cater the gospel accordingly. Um, not, not, not changing the gospel, like placing the gospel accordingly.
1: So that's why it's important to reflect upon the history of the church. Yeah. Because you see Paul being wise in how he evangelizes to people. Mm-hmm. And that very much translates to how we as believers today mm-hmm. should evangelize to our neighbors, to our friends, to people in our workplace. Yeah. When we understand their worldview it amazes me how many people operate without understanding the world view. Yeah, yeah. They just go out and they just preach what they know. They don't take time to understand what people believe. If we if we as believers adopt this idea, it will radically transform our yeah. effectiveness as believers. It's, that's why it's important to reflect and understand the history so we can be effective.
0: Yeah, that That's really good. Uh, but I also want to uh, talk about another major uh, thing, what we can learn and that's the that's the so-called spiritual aspect when I mean spiritual aspect so far we were looking at how to tackle the intellectual challenges we get from other philosophies and all that now when I name it spiritual probably it's right to say uh, science and wonders that's what I mean by spiritual where disciples and even the early church fathers uh, saw miracles and when they prayed they saw miracles and that led to an organic growth and spread uh, of Christianity
1: and so what's interesting is the power of the resurrection mm-hmm. these early apostles they were they were witnesses mm-hmm. to
0: this yeah it's, it's remarkable uh, the beginning of Christianity is based on the miracle of uh, resurrection um, so Christianity did not really start as a philosophical um, movement but rather as a, yes, a something which is exactly. like spiritual yeah. And and miracle.
1: And what's beautiful is this natural, organic movement Mm -hmm. came about, where these these men who were previously fishermen and tax collectors and these uh, random assortment of people were transformed into this powerhouses of people, Mm
0: -hmm. yeah,
1: bringing the house down in in these in these locations and thousands of people being saved. Yeah. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit, yeah, and this was this was an authentic move. This was not an institutional, um, uh, structural movement. Yeah. This was this was a this was a fire-driven movement.
0: Yeah, and no disciples planned it. They went, prayed. It just happened. happened.
1: Yeah, and, it's, and and you know uh, in Acts chapter two, in verses forty-two, in in that part of the scripture, it, talk, it talks about how they had everything in common. They if there was a need they sold something of their own to meet the need of their neighbor yeah it, there was no there was no committee meeting to discuss should we do this or should we not do this yeah there was just we are the church and we are going to be the church yeah and what's interesting is that is a marked difference between that church and today's
0: church yeah yeah it's important to realize that the spirit moves and miracles can happen uh, there is an organic nature to the church um, I think that's a really, really vital point.
1: And it's interesting to note. So, from a historical perspective, so uh, we know about Stephen, the martyr, mm-hmm. and after and after he was killed, the book of Acts then turns to Philip. Philip was another one of the seven leaders there. He founded a church in Samaria. Mm-hmm. Peter and John are then sent to supervise that church, mm-hmm. and then from there, it just this natural, organic. Pattern happened yeah. where they just traveled on these roads and found these new places and planted the gospel in those places. Mm-hmm. And so, by the time, and it inter- it's it's an interesting from a historical perspective. By the time you reach Acts chapter nine, there is a more of a focus on Paul
0: yeah. and
1: reaching the Gentiles. Yeah, and because and so and this is important because what's happening is the Hellenistic Jewish Christians are beginning to kind of overshadow. The original mm-hmm. Jewish Christians. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because this is affecting
0: the yeah, church. That's this right, is affecting
1: yeah. the theology of the church. That's right. Yeah. There's diverse opinions now. That's right. About, yeah. about these bit, these major topics, as we mentioned before, circumcision and these things that are vitally held by different these different groups in the, uh, of that time mm-hmm. and. The, all these factors played into how the church developed. There was a a, just a natural, beautiful, organic move. Yeah. They said basically, okay, well, uh, a church needs to be established in this city. Who wants to go? Okay, you're going to go. Then you go and you plant the church. Yeah. And then that's and that's how that's how they operated. Yeah. Um, and it was, it, it's a beautiful thing when you look at today's church. It's just very much the opposite. Yeah. And it's uh, it's it, it's and, and this kind of points back to the original premise of our. Of a conversation as to why it's important.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating you brought the theological conflict into it in the sense that that came a little later when people start moving out and spreading the gospel, slowly churches starting up because all these new churches are forming in the midst of pluralistic society where there is already existing other religions, the church started talking, people started talking, hey is this circumcision right or wrong? And people started talking about. So, what do we believe about Jesus Christ? Was he was he fully divine or was he fully human? So, it wasn't at the beginning. There wasn't there wasn't much a thought in the early on time because they just lived. But later on, as church progressed, they started talking theologically because there was a need for that. We could have a, a completely different podcast about. Um, how that second century and uh, from that onwards the formation of theologies of um, Christianity started. It is an important thing. But I guess at the moment the relevance for us to read church history, especially the first century, is that to realize that uh, people truly believe that the spiritual miracles and wonders could happen and happened. And therefore the church started organically. And I believe that that could happen today. Yeah. I mean, we can, we do have stories coming from Eastern part of the world or African part of the world where uh, people pray and church start. And it's kind of, a, I don't know how to feel about this, but in the Western part of the world, we always talk about strategies, methods of church planting. Well, there are places for those debates. But when God wants to start something, He will move and um, so that's a good good lesson to learn from uh, church history.
1: Yeah, it's well, a, and it's a beautiful thing, I just wanted to uh, emphasize kind of our previous point, which is that there were two aspects going on. There was a spiritual side, they were believing, if someone was sick, they believed that God would do a miracle, and God did a miracle, God did miracle after miracle, people were saved, but at the same time there was an intellectual reasoning it, mm-hmm. was an, it was an intellectual thought as to what do we believe? Why do we believe it as, as time as the church progressed over time? And I feel I guess the interesting thing is today There's two different camps very yes. similarly. There's yeah. people who focus on the spiritual say we need revival, we need healing We need all these things and yes, we do need all those things But, but they don't take the time to understand why do we believe? Yeah the things that we believe. Why do we not, why, why do we believe in this particular theological path which yeah. is a different theological path? Yeah. And people say, well, I don't need to know that information. I just need to know by faith that the Word of God is true. Yes, mm-hmm. faith is important and that it, it's a very critical thing, but God, but the Bible calls us to reason together.
0: That's right, yeah.
1: And and to understand these things.
0: Yeah, that that's a very good point and I would say that's a great summary of our discussion for the day. Yeah. and. Uh, I would just want to say a thank you to Nelson and it was a great conversation about church history and the relevance of especially the first century church history and for today's church. And uh, I hope you had a great time listening to us. Please feel free to uh, raise your comments and your thoughts on social media wherever you found us. And it will be great to hear your questions as well. Again, please tune in for more podcast episodes as we go along. We'll try our best to do what we can. And once again, thank you so much. This is Theology Untapped, your source for theological discourse.